Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. Well, Anthony, earlier we talked about frontier missions, and we tried to define what it is. In defining it, we talked about the places, the cultures, and the people that frontier workers try to reach. One of the biggest areas of misunderstanding that we can have around reaching those places can be found when we talk about contextualization. Now, I've seen just in the last few weeks as we record this episode, uh, arguments among Christians on social media about a prominent figure in the secular entertainment industry who is a Christian giving a contextualized answer to a question about his faith instead of what some people might call a clear gospel presentation. So, Anthony, can you help us define what contextualization is? I'd be happy to, because for some people, when they hear the word contextualization, they think of people distorting the gospel, making the absolute truths of the Bible relative. They're thinking it's bending the gospel to the host culture instead of, you know, making it about Jesus. So it is a word that conjures up very negative emotions. And yet, this is a misunderstanding of what contextualization really is. Contextualization is when people read the Bible, they are allowed to search for the answers to the questions that they are asking, not answers to the questions that people from another culture or even another time in history were asking. See, what most of us in America don't realize is that the gospel we believe in and that we hold in our, you know, in our, you know, hold adamantly. This gospel was contextualized for us. You know, for some of us, that contextualization happened in the 1600s. For others, if, if they're Methodist, it is happening in the 1700s. And for most of us, even our view of the atonement was contextualized in the 1800s. Since we don't study historical theology, we're not aware of these changes. We just think, oh, this is what the church has always thought. Well, you know, we don't realize the nuancing and the, the changes that have taken place over time, because that's not our area of study. Um, and, it be, and we don't need to be aware of all those changes. What we do need to be aware of is that God understands us, that he cares for us, and that when Jesus came, he came to forgive us our sins and to re, you know, restore us into a right relationship to God, and that he came to set us free from all that enslaves us. When Jesus opened up his ministry in the gospel, according to Luke in chapter 4, what did Jesus say? In verses 18 and 19, he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus came to bring good news, release to the captives, give sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free. Now, in those just two verses, he spoke twice about setting people free, release to the captives, and letting the oppressed go free. Now, 
How often do we in Western countries talk about the gospel setting people free when we explain the gospel? You know, this isn't something we typically talk about. Yet, in John chapter 8, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. <clears throat> well, uh, we need to be set free from the power of sin, and Jesus does that for us. In Hebrews 2, we also read that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, notice, Jesus sets us free from the fear of death. And all of us who know the Lord have experienced the joy of that freedom. We know that when we die, we will be with the Lord. And that's an incredible joy. I, you know, that, that runs deep in my system. And so I am so thankful for the assurance I have of my salvation and knowing deep within that I am born of God, that I'm a child of God. But notice in this verse, we also read that Jesus breaks the power of the devil, which means he sets us free from the devil. Now, how many of us in the Western world worry about the devil and evil spirits? You know, not many. I don't think I, if I think back in my growing up, I, I never worried about evil spirits, ever. Um, to drive home how important this point is, I mean, this is scripture. Jesus delivers people from demons in all the gospels. But, <clears throat> well, um, anyway, in John, I don't, I don't know if there is a deliverance in John, but in the synoptics, anyway, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And <clears throat> in Acts, we see that happening. But how many sermons have you heard in the past year? about Jesus having power over the devil. You know, our I, pastor just preached on that, but he said, this is the first time in 20 years that I've ever preached on it. And when I was asking some of my mentors for advice, they said, oh, we have never preached about that. So <laughs> I think so that just it, drives home that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, and I haven't heard one in the last nine years of my living in the U.S. Um, but you know what? People from other cultures across the world, they have experiences with evil spirits. They are afraid of evil spirits. They're afraid of the evil eye. And they're constantly seeking ways to protect themselves from being attacked by the devil, by evil spirits, and by the evil eye. And this is one of their most important concerns. So contextualization allows them to read the Bible and to see how Jesus delivers people from the power of the devil and how Jesus protects his people from demonic attack. A verse like Proverbs 18.10 is very important for them. It's, that says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. You know, in, in Luke 10, verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, Jesus was not referring to literal 
snakes and scorpions there. That's picturesque language referring to demons. So <clears throat> he's, he's saying, listen, you don't, I'm here. I've come. You're with me. You don't have to worry anymore. That's in John, in 1 John 4, verse 4, there's another verse that's very important in this light. He, John writes, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then we have Psalm 121. What does it say? It says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your going in from this time on and forevermore. You know, for many of us in Western countries, we don't read this psalm thinking about evil spirits. But when you live in a world with a lot of evil spirit activity, you certainly read that psalm in that light. The promises of being protected from evil and demons permeate Psalm 121. It's wonderful that God never sleeps, and so he is always watching over us to protect us. So, you know, this is what contextualization really means. It means we're able to read scripture in our many different cultural contexts and discover through the powerful help of the Holy Spirit how the triune God is present to help us, as well as discover how to learn what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God in our very different cultural situations. You know, we don't realize how much we read the Bible from our own cultural context. You know, so we don't see what we're actually overlooking when we read the scripture. We only see what we are missing when we live in another culture. When we read it with our friends in their cultural context, then we hear how they read, understand, and apply the scripture to their lives. And it's when we read the Bible with them that our eyes open up and we begin to see how rich the scripture really is. We begin to see what a marvelous miracle the scripture is. God designed the Bible so that it can be read in so many different cultures and speak meaningfully to people and help them through the power of the spirit and help them discern what, you know, what Paul is saying is the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God, you know, for them in their cultural context. It's not changing anything. It's <clears throat> allowing them to realize, wow, this is, this is my problem, and this is how the scripture is guiding me to solve it. It's when you live in another culture, you realize, you know, how, how wonderfully magnificent the scriptures really are what a miracle they are i i i've been blessed to live in other cultures and to read the scriptures with people from those cultures and man my own faith has been enriched and deepened as a result so i i don't i think people fear contextualization because 
you know, they hear about, you know, postmodernism and how everything, you know, there's no truth anymore. It's your truth, <clears throat> which is kind of funny, you know, in the 1990s, that was such a big idea, idea, you know, and people wanted to protect themselves from it. And it seems like, <laughs> like we live in that world right now. Um, and I'm sitting there going, wow, we have the scripture. Um, it hasn't changed and it's quite profound. And if we would listen to it, um, we would, you know, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses one through three. You know, we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can uh, know and approve the, the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And uh, I've been blessed to read the scriptures with people from different cultures. And oh, has that enriched me. Another thought that I have heard people express about contextualization is that it seems like contextualization bends towards the host culture instead of toward Jesus. And that someone who contextualizes is just, in air quotes, accommodating the world uh, that says we shouldn't criticize anyone's culture. Still, we have plenty of examples of frontier workers in history that have worked hard to contextualize. Methodius and Cyril invent an alphabet to be able to translate the Bible for the Slavs. Uh, Hudson Taylor wore Chinese clothes and learned the languages. He tried to contextualize his practices. And not that doesn't even mention Paul, like I'm sure we'll talk about later. How do we figure out if we're going too far in contextualizing? This touches into a, a situation where, um, number one, Who's the one in charge of of the church? I I think Jesus is the is the is the Lord of all, as Peter says in Acts. Uh, he is the Lord of all, so he's the one in charge of his church, and um, it's the Holy Spirit who is who leads us into all truth and who bears witness to Jesus and. And so when people talk about that, I get a little bit nervous because I sit there and I go, wait a second. Um, now do the, if we're talking about people in culture X, do these people in culture X love Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then don't they have the Holy Spirit guiding them into all truth? The answer is yes. And so then who are we to judge what, they're doing i mean because we're not there and so I, I i get a little nervous with that because it 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 kind of dips into a bit of um a bit of a power push and i'm going whoa who has who's the ultimate lord now <clears throat> usually what is happening is that people are looking from a distance and you know, the church has many, you know, we have many different ideas in the church. I mean, just how many different denominations do we have in the United States of America? And we don't agree among ourselves. So, so then I sit there and I go, well, are we going to then go to another culture and say, well, it's our interpretation of scripture. You know, if I'm, let's say I'm Presbyterian. Okay, I go over somewhere in the world and I'm carrying my Presbyterian understanding. And let's say they've got more of a Methodist understanding. I don't know. Um, and I'm going to sit there and judge whether they're contextualizing appropriately. I mean, I, 
I sometimes I sit back and I think, uh, you know, I think we need to truly, if we if we're submitted to the Lord, and and truly um, walking with Him, and then we want to take the time to go walk with the people that we want to quote judge whether their contextualization is appropriate. We need to walk with them in their culture with them for a few years. And then maybe we'll have better insight as to what's really going on. But I, I just get so nervous when people do that because, you know, they sit there and say, how can we, you know, are they over contextualizing? Well, how, how am I supposed to judge that? I'm, Jesus is their Lord. I can, if I go come beside them and I can listen to their heart and I can hear what they're saying. I mean, typically, you know, when, you know, we, we know it, if we sit down in a group here and we are talking with one another, and we're all from different parts of the U.S. and we're all from different churches, even different denominations. You know, pretty quickly we can figure out who knows the Lord and who doesn't in that in that setting and and because you can tell you can just tell these are you know this person is my brother or this person is my sister in the lord and you know because it's evident there's evidences of the presence of the spirit of god in our lives and that happens everywhere so i think the proof is really in the pudding in, and when you're actually making, you know, face-to-face -face meaningful contact, you can see, yeah, this is a little different and may look a little different. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I go to, I go to a, <clears throat> a, a reformed church. Um, but if I were to go to a, you know, a Pentecostal church, they're not going to look anything like my church typically you know let's say it's it's a hyper charismatic church and people you know are doing expressing their faith that's meaningful to them in that way well that you know more power to them that <clears throat> i they're contextualizing for their setting in a sense and so um am i going to sit there and say this is this is wrong no jesus is their lord and they're worshiping the Lord in the ways that are meaningful to them before him. And he's looking at their hearts and he's rejoicing over them with joy. So I'm going to sit there and get, <laughs> I get, you know, act like I, I'm, you know, bigger than Jesus in that situation. So even in our own context, we, we do things differently, but <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we need, have the right to judge one another as to, you know, this that and the other thing i i just get really worried with the concept of uh, how do we figure out if they are going too far in contextualizing now of course you know there are things that we you know it, <clears throat> um it, i think it's probably better that we just look at ourselves and look and say, okay, how am I in my culture? How am I doing in my cultural context? Am I over-contextualizing? Am I being syncretistic? I, you know, do I have a log in my eye that needs to be pulled out, you know, before I even look at the speck in my 
my fellow fellows I, I think um, that's kind of the Sermon on the Mount there. So I think that's more appropriate for us to look at our own, our own setting and see if we're being syncretistic and gone too far in our own uh, contextualizing. Yeah, one thing I remember you telling my wife and I uh, some years ago when we were engaged and trying to figure out what we were going to do next, that cross-cultural workers generally had spent to spend two to three years in a context before they were close to being effective. Uh, I understood the time and still think that a good amount of that is because it takes that long to start to identify our own cultural predispositions and to begin to see life from our host's perspective. I, I think your example of how the gospel was contextualized when denominations formed is really instructive. Uh, several years ago, I was talking to a friend who came from a Coptic Christian background. I don't remember exactly what we were discussing, but he said, I think that's a difficult question for you because you're a Protestant. I don't think that's hard to answer. Anthony, are there ways that we can start to develop uh, our ability to see our own contextualization before we go out into a frontier field? Well, I think I know I don't I, I don't know for sure by one of the ways that I do what I try to do is um, and, and I realize most people can't do this but when I'm studying a, a book of the Bible and I'm reading through it I I try to get a good commentary on it and now I, I know a lot of people they're not used to reading commentary so um they you know they you know that sounds like terrible advice and i i get that <laughs> but the only way i've been able to do it is to st st study a really good recent commentary that that's unpacking the you know what is actually happening in the first century um after christ what's the culture like at the time of the early church What's the culture like at the time of Christ? If I'm reading an Old Testament book, what was the, the culture like when, when you know, the, during that time in history, so that I get a sensitivity to what the you know the 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 scriptures. It, the scripture wasn't was written, you know, it's written for all of us, but it wasn't it wasn't written to us. It was written to the people of that culture in that time in history. And people thought differently back then. And so when we we unpack the, you know, the, the cultural, you know, the context of when these books were written, we we get a sense of the significant cultural differences. And that does sensitize us to um, to uh, how the gospel can go into cultures because we're seeing how it you know that's what the scripture was written for them you know to them and that what it was saying to them but now as i read it in my cultural context how that is you know we think differently and we see things differently and um that i think is one way to help ourselves it's through good good bible you know Bible commentaries. Uh, but again, I realize that's difficult for some because they're not used to 
going into that kind of depth. But <clears throat> if not, I think the best way is, you know, just uh, go and live, <laughs> learn another language, just live among another people, and that'll help. But outside of that, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, but that's what I've done. And it's in through in my study of the scripture that, uh, you know, and by living in another culture, whoa, that, that exploded my understanding of the, of the beauty of, of the word of God and the depth of it. Anthony, thanks for helping me and our listeners think more about contextualization, uh, think more about our own cultural context, how the contextualization that we've been a part of affects how we think about faith and think about Jesus, and thinking about how the host culture thinks differently than we do, and for thinking about how to embrace some of these differences instead of being scared off or separated. Anthony, thanks for your time today. God bless you, Jason. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com. Or to hear more episodes, go to globalhearted.com. And now receive a good word. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.